G'day, my name's Riley Beveridge, and you are listening to the, is it the Premier League nightclub or the European Super League nightclub? <laughs> Whatever one we're listening to, boys. Charvin, he's done it! Four! Aguero! Uh, a couple of days ago, we didn't think I was going to be able to say that. Uh, this podcast, of course, is brought to you by Arrowsport, and I'm a kit maker in the business. And Riley, we asked you to bring or wear your Liverpool kit, and we f- feel bad because today <laughs> our Arrowsport kits came, so yep. we thought we'd wear them because they are our sponsor, so we can't leave them out to dry. Um, but yeah, usually it would be in Man United kits or, or something, something like that. Yeah, I was going to wear a Blades kit today, um, only because first team to get relegated feel bad for him so <laughs> bit, of, bit of misery on the on the pod but not to be um riley how you been mate uh like how's things how's how's it all going with you oh well i'll tell you what uh for about sunday night or monday morning our time i've been stressed through a stressful 48 hours for me i mean i had to go through the rigmarole of trying to explain to my girlfriend why i was in such a bad mood for the last 24 <laughs> hours and didn't quite understand what the concept was and I tried to put it to her as much as possible that everything that I love about the game of football has just been taken away from me in the space of 24 hours by one bloke who hasn't consulted on anyone apart from his finances and his backers from a financial <laughs> point of view. She, she couldn't get her head around that. So it's been a stressful period, but um, it, it feels like now, given the, the events of the last sort of 12 hours, that it, it's, it, everything's getting back on track. But just whether or not everyone's relationship with the game will ever be the same again. I think that's a legitimate concern to take forward, I reckon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's there's so much to dissect, I think, in the aftermath of, of this, which we're definitely going to get into a little bit later in the pod. And of course, we'll discuss how you were feeling, say, 24 hours ago. But before we get stuck into the current events, which we certainly are going to, we just want to know, like, how did you, you know, what, why are you a Liverpool fan? How did you get into the, to the world game? Um. Well, I'm a Liverpool fan because when I was growing up, my best mate from primary school when I was five years old was from Liverpool. His, his whole family was from Liverpool. He sort of got me into the sport. My, my whole family has been massive footy fans. And obviously, I'm a huge AFL fan as well. I work at afl.com.au but, um, and, and cover that for a job. But, but football's just been my passion away from that. It's, it's been something where I've actually been able to, to be a fan from, from a young age and been able to follow Liverpool my whole life. I was lucky enough when I was 18 years old to move over there and, and live in Liverpool for a couple of years. I've, I've gone back ever since and fallen in love with the city as much as I have with the football club. So it's always been something that's been very close to my heart and it's, it's something that I love and I have loved for, for the best part of 20 years. Beauty. Uh, do you ever find that um, working for the AFL um, almost contests your love for the round ball game uh, because of how much time you do spend sort of, sort of, sort of studying the game that we play in Australia? Not necessarily. What I've actually found is since I've been working full-time in the AFL industry, it's almost made my love for football and for Liverpool grow a bit more because of the fact that I'm so emotionally detached from clubs in the AFL because I'm covering them and I'm reporting on them. I'm trying to stay as unbiased as possible that I can actually attach myself and attach my feelings to a football club and a sporting club uh, in in the sense that I can do that with Liverpool. So I've actually found that since I've been working in the industry the last five, seven years, that I've actually really loved supporting and being an actual supporter of Liverpool even more. It's, it's awesome that you went over there and lived there because, you know, obviously everyone picks a Premier League team over here in Australia and we've done almost 100 episodes of this podcast and it probably comes up 
you know, 90% of the time that we, you know, we didn't, everybody has some sort of connection to a club, whether it be through a mate or whether it be through, you know, their dad, mum, whoever, but at the end of the day, no one was really born in the city. And I think that's like probably one criticism that overseas fans always get, which we're pretty critical of, but at the end of the day, everybody has a, a right to an opinion on that, but it's awesome to hear that you, you went over in there and lived there. Did you have any like unique memories over there that, you know, you, you'd want to share with us? Um, well, I was actually fortunate. The, the, the first time I went, actually, I went over there and watched actual football games was 2013-14 when Liverpool got so close. That was the year I was living there. It was I was going to home games every week. I went to a couple of away games. Um, I did a, an internship at the Liverpool Echo, the local wow. paper over there, and um, sat in on a couple of Brendan Rodgers press conferences. He was the manager at the wow. time, obviously. So that was, that was an incredible experience. Studying journalism at the time, I was studying over there when I was when I was living over there. So um, studying journalism and knowing that ultimately that's something what I wanted to do and being able to see how it worked at such an elite environment. I've seen how it worked at the AFL level, but see how it worked overseas and how their reporters and their press went about it was extraordinary. And then to be part of the thrill of witnessing a, a title chase as it happened and riding the highs and lows of that season. And it was extraordinary. It was I think that's when it really started sinking into me. Obviously, I'd love the club my whole life, but that's when I started being more fanatical about it, I think, more than ever. Do you reckon um, maybe your time overseas influenced Mitch to go overseas and do his <laughs> European trip? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, but can I ask you guys a question? When you had Mitch on the episode, what, what side did he say he supported? Because he barracks for about 15 different clubs across Europe. So oh, I'm actually going to say which one he went. Was he it after, did he say Aston Villa or Manchester United? He oh. said Manchester United. It was definitely like a Man United theme on the pod. Because, no, because he posted a picture at the Manchester Derby. Yeah, like in 2019 or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. What a scumbag. It was Villa until about 2017, I reckon. And then I reckon he changed again. And then he's back to United. But... The other week, I saw him walking around in a Leicester City jersey, and I have no idea who he actually supports. Oh, no. <laughs> I said, that's actually brought our whole podcast in disrepute because he was like our second <laughs> guest. We've we've built the foundation. He's like the only on Man United Mitch. fan we've had on yeah, as well, which is surprising. <laughs> so, yeah, geez, now we're going to start the hunt again for a new United Fire. fan. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, like, that's too <laughs> what good. a disaster. He probably, he almost, was he almost back on board, the, the villains, in the last 24 hours? He might have been. I've actually spoken to him or Cal about that because I give him a lot of a lot of stick for it. But I think at the end of the day, his allegiances do lie at Manchester United. But um, I give him a, I've, I've been giving him a lot of stick recently, but they haven't been fighting back just about the, the European Super League and who's actually been driving it. So I haven't spoken to him in the last couple of days, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's jumping ship. <laughs> um, has it been a popular discussion point around AFL House? Uh, a little bit. I find that the people who are actually interested in it um, are following it more so, but yeah. just the different ways that clubs in the AFL are run and operated and owned and, and, and the way they carry out this sort of stuff. Like, obviously, there's, there's no parallels that you can draw, but I think it is something that any sport fan, it's a, such a significant story mm. that, that any sport fan would be intrigued by the way it's actually happening and the way it's gone about. I mean, um, I've got a mate who's a massive basketball fan and was talking about the Euros, the Euro League in basketball, which runs under a a similar sort of model. They're, they're, and I mean, it's no surprise that Real Madrid and Barcelona, who have close affiliations with their basketball team and their, their football team, yeah. are, are driving the European Super League in this sense because they're both part of the Euro League in basketball, which 
I think has 11 foundation clubs and then seven other clubs from around Europe that can qualify every year. So yeah. it's no surprise that this model's taken shape as a result of, of them driving it in Spain and being two of the biggest drivers of it. I think that was one of the biggest points that I sort of came across on Twitter was that um, I think it was the FIBA um, restructure, the Euro, Euro um, basketball when it happened. And a lot of people were drawing sort of parallels to, you know, that what was happening in Europe during that time when they restructured the league compared to what's happening now. But I personally, I think the key difference is that it's not all encapsulating and that's it's further segregating rather than actually making, you know, a standalone league, which is, you know, serves as the competitive peak. Um, And I think that was probably something that we agreed on, Damon, is that there's probably nothing really to actually draw complete parallels with um, in that it's just so unique and so money driven. Um, yeah, was, it's actually quite a complex issue to understand if you don't think like if you just if we didn't all sit here and know football to that extra level and we said, hey, let's watch, you know, Arsenal versus Real Madrid or, or Barcelona versus Man United every second week. It's just like your initial reaction would be, yeah, like that, that'd be cool as. And then you think yeah. about it for a little bit more and you're like, well, hang on a minute. Well, how would that work? And then you yeah. start learning more and more and more, and like, it becomes yeah, no <laughs> before by the end of that conversation, Which, you want to throw up. Well, like you, Bev, mate, the, I was trying to explain to my mum, and she just didn't get it. I'm like, <laughs> why would you want? She's like, why would you want the best teams playing against each other? I'm like, yeah, but you're not working for it. You don't understand. Yeah, um, yeah. There's got to be some type of consequences in football, uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, in any sport. That, that's my biggest takeaway from it. There's got to be. If you lose, if you have a bad season like what Liverpool's having, you've got to pay the consequences for it. If you have a great season like what West Ham's having, you've got to be rewarded for it. If you take away the risk and the reward of any sport, then it becomes meaningless. It becomes joyless. You take you rip the soul out of the fabric of the sport. So at the end of the day, that that is the biggest factor and that is why I think so many people across the world are so against it. So I think, you know, we've put, probably put together enough context to sort of get into the Super League and what it sort of entails for world football at the moment. Um, what I'm going to ask, Riley, is that give us a sec. We're just going to run through a couple of the details for people that haven't completely gone across it. Um, so obviously the European Super League demo was put in um, place uh, or put in, or was lodged a couple of days ago. Um, and this is what you need to know. So the project was launched to rival the Champions League and the Europa League, which currently dominate European football. Um, it would reportedly contain 20 clubs with 15 of those clubs being permanent founding members and then five qualifying annually based upon the um, criteria set by the founding 15. Um, there were six clubs from the Premier League who were founders, um, three from the Italian League and three from the Spanish League. Um, the founding members will be offered up to £310 million to join the competition. Um, and to put into perspective, the Champions League qualification is only worth about £100 million per year. Um, it was expected to kick off in the 2022-2023 season, so later half of this year. Um, and the UEFA since have released a statement condemning the ESL, which led to most of the clubs being uh, pulled out, um, obviously led by Chelsea and the stuff going on there. Riley, what, what did you actually feel when, when you woke up to this news? Because obviously it's, I felt like we've, we've been waking up to news and new headlines for the past three days. On Monday morning when you sort of saw this going on, what was your initial reaction? Uh, obviously, we, we've known about this and have threatened this for such a long time, but the fact that they dropped it on, uh, on fans, players, managers so unexpectedly at this moment 
Um, speaking purely as a Liverpool supporter, I thought immediately that they betrayed the fan base, they betrayed the players, they betrayed the manager who brought everyone at the football club so much joy over the last two or three seasons. They had a game against Leeds to prepare for on Monday night. And I guess the first thing I thought of, knowing exactly what it would mean and what the consequences of joining this league would mean, my immediate thought was, do I put any uh, sort of... um, do I put any emotion? Do I invest anything of myself in this game against Leeds tonight? Because if we win, fantastic. We're still not going to win the league. If we lose, who cares? We're still going to be qualifying for the European Super League. And this is this is what I went back to. This is what I said before about needing consequence and reward in sport. Unless you are competing for the title or in the relegation battle, it takes away everything. So there's sides that. And the way the Premier League's fought at the moment in terms of the dominance of a select few clubs, and we can go into all that stuff if you want to about how this situation's been brought and how the rich have got richer over a number of years through broadcast deals and the modernisation of the game. But where it is now, it's already so difficult for a club like Leicester to win the league. And that's what made them win the league such an incredible achievement. But it's already so difficult for them to win the league. So it requires need perfection to win the Premier League. Now, Liverpool made 197 points in the 2019 season and didn't win the league. So if you lose two of your first three games, almost automatically you can't win the Premier League. So then almost automatically for the remaining 35 games of the season, you're not competing for anything. You're competing for nothing. Football's just meaningless in that sense because a club like Liverpool and their stature knows they're not going to get relegated if they've lost two of their first three. They know they're going to pull themselves out of the fire eventually. But it means they're probably still already too far behind to win the Premier League. So there's no competition for them. There's no consequence for losing games. There's no reward for winning games. So immediately my focus turned to Leeds and thinking, this is just what football is going to be like now if this actually goes ahead. And that's where the worry came from. That's where the fear came from and the, the anxiety that I think all of us football fans felt over the next 48 hours. Yeah, your, your tweet sort of, in all honesty sort of hit me quite hard because um, I was watching the game. Well, I woke up, I don't know, maybe in about the 70th minute. Um, and, and so I was watching it and yeah, I, I had a similar feeling, but obviously I'm not a Liverpool or Leeds fan. So I was watching it as a mutual, in all honesty, I just wanted Leeds to score, to wipe out the, uh, <laughs> to wipe out the Liverpool clean sheet because uh, too many people have Trent Alexander-Arnold in fantasy. But or the other thing was like, it was just when Leeds scored, you could tell the, the like the passion that Leeds showed was almost an anger that yeah. like it was it was a sense of justice when they scored. But then on the other hand to that, you could you could tell from the reaction of the Liverpool players, look, I mean you can't read into too much of body language, I know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but there was this sense of just like, as you said, like who cares? Mm. Like I don't know, there were a few disappointed. But at the end of the day, it just felt so insignificant to not just what had happened the day before, but also what could potentially had happened. And, and yeah, it was, there was that sense that that decision, that, that announcement that came out during Monday morning or on Sunday night, it, it was almost like that actually killed the game for 48 hours. Mm, yeah. And think about what that does. Like to have that effect, I can't think of anything else that I've experienced. Like, the game stopped for three months and it mm. still didn't kill as much as that announcement did. Does that sort of make sense? Like we thought we'd experienced the most yeah. insane thing a year earlier. And then that 
beat it easily. Yeah. I'd rather that and, Liverpool game not have been played. It was weird. Exactly. And, and the, the fundamental sort of aspect of ownership in a football club should be to help the club move forward. They did the, the ownership did the complete opposite ahead of that game. So there's been great reporting on The Athletic about it in the last 24 hours that Jurgen Klopp spent most of Monday uh, working with the media team in terms of how he would address questions. He should have spent most of Monday preparing for the game on Monday night. Yeah. They the, the ownership in what it did sabotaged preparations for a crucial game with six games left in the season with a club fighting for something that is tangible, that's realistic, that's within touching distance for them. I, I, I felt betrayed as a fan and I'm, I'm not a match-going fan. Obviously, I live on the other side of the country, but I felt betrayed on behalf of the match-going fans that they've, they haven't been in the stadium for 18 months now. They've, they've already, they're missing the one thing they love. They've had to deal with a whole bunch of other stuff where, I mean, from a Liverpool perspective, setback after setback after setback in terms of injuries this year. They've had games where a VAR official who's not even inside the ground is in terms of the Merseyside derby literally def defining the match and and making a making a decision that will impact the direct result of the match then you've got the, the players and the ownership who have not only had to deal with everything they've done dealt with over the last four or five years where they've won the league they've won the Champions League they've given the fans what they've wanted for 30 years they've played through a pandemic they've done this but now, all of a sudden, James Milner is answering questions after a game. That's not his job. It's not Jurgen Klopp's job. I saw some criticism of Jurgen Klopp afterwards saying he didn't do enough. He didn't go out of his way to say he should have threatened to resign. He should have done this. He should have done that. It is literally not his job to be doing, to be defending the actions of an owner who didn't even get his opinion on the issue. And that's what angered me about it. The ownership threw so many people under the bus. And I know we're recording this on Tuesday night. I know a couple of hours ago, John W. Henry, the Liverpool owner, recorded a video and actually apologised. I don't think there's any way back for him now. I just can't see how that relationship between the playing group, between the management, between the supporter base is ever repaired. Mm. I think as soon as that politics is defined by monetary gain, then, then you just know that the game's in disrepute. And yeah. I think personally for me, what, what was, you know, the most surprising from the Premier League was that they, they almost act like they haven't invited the owners into the Premier League in the first place. Like they've invited the Cronkies, the Blazers, you know, the Hendry, uh, Levy, um, all these guys, all these massive owners, the Abramoviches as well. They, they forget that they invited them in to boost the capital of the game in, in the UK. And then from there, I think this is only, you know, a subsequent, personally, I think it's just a, you know, a byproduct of, of them inviting capital into the game. And I think they're so critical, the Premier League, this is so critical of, you know, um, uh, I guess a capitalistic nature from these clubs and let them being run as businesses. However, what more did they expect when they invited these these owners into, into the league? Personally, I mean, that's, that's just my opinion, but... And that's why the ownership of all of these 12 clubs must have thought, we've pushed the boundaries on what, we can get away with so much. And I, I think that's actually what influenced their decision to ultimately go ahead with this and drop the news on Sunday night. I reckon they thought, we've pushed the boundaries so much. If we push them again, no one's going to kick up a fuss. And I think that would, I think a lot of them were actually surprised that there was this much kickback because for mm -hmm. so long they've been able to do what they want and get away with it. From a Premier League perspective, and the reason why I don't think you could have ever let the six clubs back into the Premier League if they created the standalone model is because, as you mentioned when you were describing what it was, they're getting £300 million per year yep. on top of that. 
So the Premier League would have never been an evenly fought uh, sort of battle between 20 sides ever again. Not that it is now. Exactly. It's all, they've already pushed it to the very extreme and they want to go even further. And I, I feel six of my stomach thinking that the six English clubs thought they could get away with it. And, and it makes me feel even worse when I think about sides like Inter Milan and, and Real Madrid, who are hundreds of millions of euros in debt through their financial mismanagement and thought that the way of solving their own financial mismanagement was by bringing in more finances. They, they should have to pay the consequences for what they've done over the last 20 years. And instead of that, they tried to circumvent an issue, go another way and capitalise on the work that hundreds of clubs around Europe have done to get to this point. Can you imagine if fans were in the stadiums? Do you think they even would have made this decision or come out now if there were fans in the stadiums? No, and that, that's why it's another act of cowardice for me because and I, I think they've taken advantage of the fact that there are no fans and they, they won't face backlash and you know, the backlash will come from social media. I, I, for one, don't, as I mentioned before, I don't think they thought they'd be this much backlash. I think they completely uh, missed that. And, and to try and capitalise on the fact that people are missing out on football because of a global pandemic is just another really cowardly act, I think. Mm. I think another one of the things that really pissed me off is that they even admitted that the reason why they're doing it is to offset the loss, the financial loss from the pandemic, which I thought, and that's something that Florentino Perez came out and said in his press press conference uh, regarding the ESL was that, you know, the major driver was financial gain. Yeah. The game is not about, it's not about financial gain. It's about the fans. That was a hard watch. That was a hard watch. Well, <laughs> Seeing the recap of that, honestly, it made, it made me sick to the stomach that people actually agree with mm. Perez. You know, the big six owners, they, they look to him and say, yeah, you know what? We agree with you. Let's segregate to make money. And, and this just, is why, within the six English clubs in particular, I think they also misjudged what the other one and what the other club's priorities were as a result of this. So you've got Chelsea and Manchester City who did it purely, well, based on the reporting I've read, purely because they didn't want to get left behind. You've had Manchester United and Liverpool who are both US-owned companies, and to a certain extent Chelsea, but both US, I'm sorry, Arsenal, are both, are all three are US-owned uh, football clubs. And I think what they've seen is they've seen the way that, uh, certainly in, in Liverpool's case, uh, the Boston Red Sox and the way they're run in, in uh, the MLB, certainly the way NBA and NFL sides are. It doesn't matter how poorly across a season an NFL or a baseball or a basketball team goes, the revenues are exactly the same. And it's a similar story in the AFL to a certain extent, but the revenues are the same. I, I think they've come from those different backgrounds and they've come into the English football and they've thought, hold on, how come we're finishing third and losing money? Well, how come we're finishing fourth and losing money? Whereas in the NBA, you can finish 14th and you know exactly what your revenue is going to be. It's such a volatile industry in football mm. that I think they've come in with that background. So automatically, there's two opposing uh, trades of thought. That You've got Chelsea, Man Manchester City and Chelsea who don't want to get left behind. You've got these three US-owned clubs that, that want it for this reason. Then you've got Tottenham who God only knows why they're there in the first place. <laughs> And they're purely because they've got a shiny new stadium that I think they can sell out when fans are allowed back in the stadium. But, but who knows when they are going to be allowed back in. There's, mm. Immediately there was 
different viewpoints and I don't think they ever got together on an official level and worked this out entirely. And I think that, that shows the fact that no one knows how the five extra clubs are going to enter the league. No one knows how the women's competition was supposed to replicate it. No one knows yeah. who the 13th, 14th and 15th sides that were always going to be there, who they are. So mm. I think it's pretty clear to see why it, it fell on its ass so quickly. Yeah, I think the fact that you mentioned um, sort of the US connection there as well, and especially um, in hindsight, looking uh, and seeing that JP Morgan was going to come out and be the main um, financier of, of the league. Um, it just sort of suggests that there was, you know, a US little think tank between the top six leagues and the top six owners, which had US connections. Um, and obviously, I don't know if you're aware, but I think it was um, Ed Woodward, um, yeah. you know, used to work for JP Morgan as well. So, you know, it just, yeah, it just suggests that they're trying to replicate that model and bring it to Europe when, you know, it's like, yeah, it just, it just wasn't going to work. Um, and it's not it's not um, lending itself to the culture of European football as well. So yeah, I think fuck yeah, I'm so glad to I, see the back end of it too. What? <laughs> Just to touch on something you you mentioned, Riley, it was about um, like how the league placings determine you know financial financial gain or loss and whatnot. Uh, I'm not sure if you if you caught it. And to all the people listening, it's I couldn't recommend go watching it more. I'm not exactly sure where you'd find it, but I did see a few videos of it on Twitter. Uh, Basically, the I assume it was a lead reporter for, for Sky was talking about uh, he had a, he had a connection in one of the big six clubs. He wouldn't say who it was or, or which club. It is. And some of the things that were being reported were were honestly like just astonishing about how the these American owners specifically can't understand the concept of relegation. They yeah. can't. So they want that's a, they knew they wouldn't be able to get relegation out of the Premier League. So instead, they just create a new league. I guess that's another way of explaining yeah. it to someone. Uh, and yeah, the the concept of like you said, hang on, we're finishing fourth out of twenty teams and losing money. How does that make? They hated the the fact they were putting money in and not getting a sustained ma- amount back. They hated the uncertainty, yeah. which unfortunately, like that that. Yeah, you can have your opinion on that, but there's a sense of just bad business. If you don't know what you're getting into, yeah. don't spend billions and billions of getting into it in the first place. Like, I just don't understand how that can happen. And the whole the whole prospect of this struck of bad business. So there's that. There's the fact that if you don't like the fact that you could be losing money based on a fourth place finish, I mean, if you're investing billions of dollars into a football club, you'd imagine that you'd have some idea of how it worked and how the yeah. revenue stream mm. in a club worked. I mean... So, firstly, who's who's advising them on that? I mean, if you don't like that model, don't buy into football. Yeah. It's as easy as that. Uh, secondly, I think it was Rory Smith, who's from the New York Times, put something on Twitter, which I just couldn't stop laughing at last night. But just saying, they hired a PR firm, the European Super League. How did they lose the PR battle so badly? What are they paying these people for? Oh, that's horrible, dude. <laughs> this is like another bad. thing that's... Struck. Everything seems so badly planned and so badly thought out. Mm. And as I said, it's, it's, it, it honestly, in hindsight, because I think everyone was in the moment so much and so worried for the future of their football clubs, but two or three days on, in hindsight, it's so easy to see how this fell over so quickly. I feel as if they almost went in with the mindset of, you know, we'll put this out there and we'll wait for people to come to us and say, we want to be part of this league. Yeah. And that's why they hadn't filled, you know, those last three founding spots is because I think they were waiting for people to go, oh, well, the capital benefit's going to be so big. We need to get in and join, you know, these powerhouse teams.
now it's probably a good way to shift um, into sort of looking in, into the aftermath of this now. We talked before about the owners and uh, and sort of, you know, how that works uh, in the Premier League. And my question to you, Riley, is do you think now uh, the Premier League should be introducing some sort of um, regulations as into how much power the owners can um, incite into the game? Or because, mm. you know, this, this could replicate itself in the future. And that, that's the scary thing if, if, you know, if there aren't any boundaries set for the owners. The scary thing for me is that it already has replicated itself. The Champions League reforms that are coming in now and that were very quietly by UEFA announced in the midst of the European Super League. Uh, is the European Super League dressed up as something else? So you've got a situation now where oh, Real Madrid's unhappy that they can get knocked out of the group stage of the Champions League and be out of the, after six games. Okay, well then let them play 10 games, but only eight teams come through. Oh, but you don't finish in the top eight, you finish 24th. That's fine. You get a second opportunity to qualify for the, for the final 16. Uh, and then, again, if you don't qualify for that Champions League, the reformatted Champions League as a result of domestic qualification, oh, that's fine because there's the UEFA coefficient. And if you rank highly enough on that, you get an automatic spot in the Champions League anyway. So they've already got their way. And the thing that staggers me and the thing that I hope football fans across the world continue to pressure UEFA on is that UEFA should be looking at this and thinking, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Liverpool, Manchester United, they don't have as much power as they think they do. They've just, they've just basically fallen over at the first crack mm-hmm. uh, of the European Super League. We don't, have to, we don't have to sort of bend to their demands as soon as they demand it, which is what they've done on this reformatted Champions League. They should be thinking, hey, you know what? We're happy with our competition. The fans are happy with our competition. There's still integrity as much as you really can't put this word with UEFA or FIFA there's still integrity within this competition in terms of how you qualify for it and how you go through the competition and, and how you make your way through and progress we've still got that let's keep it as it is and that's what I've been really delighted that I think Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund's fan groups put something out about this uh, I saw Spirit of Shankly Liverpool's fan group put something out about this I saw um, Chelsea's I think earlier today that focus now needs to turn to stopping the new Champions League uh, format going through. That, that should be the next thing because it is scary this has happened and it's scary that it still might happen to, you know, to a slightly watered-down extent. Um, we saw heaps and heaps of comments from Gary Neville and, and Jamie Carragher and some more you know, big names in the media over in the UK. As someone who works in AFL media, I know it's obviously not exactly the same, um, but do you, do you think there's that the role that Gary Neville specifically played Look, I'm not going to. We can't sit here and say he he was the you know the man that that saved us all. It was definitely just a football effort in general. Like everybody in the game sort of had that influence. But do you feel like you know there's still a role now for those individuals in the media to to say protect the new, make sure the new Champions League doesn't go ahead, or at least the way it's being you know planned. Do they have, are you surprised with the amount of power that maybe the media individually per person has over there in the UK? Potentially. And I think it's perhaps more so when it is a legend of clubs that are involved. So whether it's Gary Neville and his associations with Manchester United or Jamie Carragher and his associations with Liverpool. I actually think a lot of it, what, what tipped, the, tipped the scale in favour of the European Super League not going ahead is... Sir Alex Ferguson speaking out against it and Kenny Dalglish speaking out against it this morning. I think once that happened, I personally didn't feel like there was any way back because 
Kenny Dalglish for all his time in football and all his time out of football, his voice still carries a lot of weight inside and outside of the club. It's the same with Sir Alex Ferguson. I don't think anything happens at United still without Sir Alex Ferguson knowing about it or having mm-hmm. to say on. So I think when that when that happens, I think influential people inside the media can have an influence on that sort of stuff. But I think in this instance, the likes of Jamie, Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville have just virtually done what their job is to do when, when they're putting forward a, a, an opinion like this, is they've listened to the fans, they've formed an opinion on it, and they've transmitted that on a broader scale. That, that's, that's essentially what their job in this should be. I think yeah. if, if they were going out and saying, oh, supporters love it, they're not doing their jobs because they're not reporting the right facts. I think they could understand that over an overwhelming amount of people who were against this and, and they just sort of relay their views onto a global audience. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Gary Neville did come and say that, you know, as a punishment, uh, all the top six teams should have points deducted. Um, you should put them on the bottom of the league and you should be penalising them financially. Uh, mm-hmm. In terms of the punishment of this, do you think there should be a punishment or um, how do you sort of see the Premier League tackling this? Or, or what do you think should actually happen? I reckon if they'd have gone ahead with it, yes. I think now they come back with their, their tails between their legs a little bit. But the thing about punishments, which... I sort of have second thoughts about is that you could evidently see that whether it was Jurgen Klopp, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, um, Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea, Pep Guardiola at Manchester City, the way they spoke about it over the last couple of days, they had no idea this was happening. Yeah. The playing board had no idea this was happening. Jordan Henderson rallied all of the players to post on social media last night and say it shouldn't happen and they were against it. Jurgen Klopp said he was against it. So in my view, why should the playing group and the management be punished as a result of one man's decision. So whether or not you believe him or not, John W. Henry comes out today and says that it was his sole, he's solely responsible for it. Now, I think there would have been a cohort of people in Boston that would have, and this is just my opinion, that would have known about it. I'm not sure how many people in Liverpool or in their London base would have known about it. I think it was a decision that was made purely out of Boston, in my opinion. And that's just from reporting, from, from what you can gather, from listening to people, that's the sense that I get. So should the people in Liverpool be made to pay for that? I'm not sure. And punishing them if they had have actually gone through with the European Super League, would it have mattered? I mean, at the end of the day, whether or not they finish 14th or third wouldn't have made a difference. Unless you're in a title race, it wouldn't have made a difference. So I'm not sure how you go about it. I personally think it's a financial punishment because that hurts the pockets of the people who made the decision. But I think also and within this entire argument, I think you need to differentiate the club from the owners. This wasn't a Liverpool decision. This was a John W. Henry decision. It was the same with Manchester United. It wasn't a Manchester United decision. So you shouldn't be blaming Harry Maguire or Oligana Solskjaer for it. Yeah. This was a Glazer family decision. And I think you need to punish the people who's going to hurt. You need to punish the people who deserve to be punished. And the way you do that, I think, is by through financial measures. I think uh, that really probably transcends with me because, um, you know, obviously Graham Sonis came in and said, if, you, if you're hurting the club, you're hurting the fans, and then you hurt the players. It's not just because you penalise the club doesn't mean you penalise the owners. It actually works in the reverse way. Uh, you actually penalise yeah, everyone that supports the club, everyone that makes the fabric of that club. So honestly, I actually couldn't agree more with you in that sense, um, in that the penalty should be financial at the owners um, yeah. rather than the clubs themselves. So, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a really delicate issue from now on. And hopefully we never see anything like this, you know, happen again, so, yeah. but that's easier said than, than done. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like 
it's going to go away. And, and I think we're going to see the aftermath of this go on for the next next year or two, in all Probably, honesty. Yeah. Like, this will be mentioned for months to come at least. So it's funny because on this podcast, we usually take a little bit less of a serious view, especially in the last... <laughs> since since COVID hit, we've, yeah. we've sort of changed the podcast to have a little bit more fun with it because, you know, these sort of discussions can sometimes drag on a little bit. But this one, I could talk for hours. In all honesty, I could talk yeah. for hours about this. And I, I, I think was said it so yeah. right, you guys need to get me on to talk actual football and i'd love to just talk actual, yeah, seriously, yeah, yeah, 100%. as you know it's going, i'd love to talk about that so get me on one day <laughs> we can talk about that i feel like i've brought the whole mood down no, 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 no way this discussion needed to happen because we happen. we're in all honesty like outside of the pod we've been super busy so we weren't even going to do a podcast this week but when this all dropped we dropped everything and yeah. we, we came on but at now it's time to get stuck into some more fun stuff just for five or 10 minutes to end it because we can't do this the whole time. The viewers will, or the listeners, I should say, will, uh, will not like it. No, no, I haven't, you know, I need a pump up. I can't finish on pump. this. Yeah, it's a bit depressing. All right, so this is where we sort of get into our quirky questions um, and we love to do it because we get to know you a little bit more and we get to know how you support football a little bit more as well. Um, so first question, can you please give us your Premier League five-a-side team with no big six players? <laughs> no big six players. <laughs> uh, in ESL spirit, we have to do it. Um, all right, I reckon... Oh. I need to find out who's actually not in the Premier League, in, in the Premier League Big Six. It's been so long since I've watched one of those games. Uh, I'm going to go with, can I say Matty Ryan, even though he's, he's on loan at one of the Big Six? Yeah, yeah, we'll allow that. We'll allow I'll, that. I'll chuck Matty Ryan in there. He's still brighten it hard, so I'll chuck him in there. Um, if I'm doing strikers, I reckon you've got to include... Jeez, you put me on the spot. I love Raul Jimenez. At full, yep. at, well, I love yep. him. Great shot. Um, love the pronunciation reckon, as well. Not everyone can do that. So very slick. Like, I'm gonna put him. I'm gonna put him up top with because I don't know if you boys play futsal or five side, but I find that no matter how friendly a league you are in, if you're playing in an under over 35s league, if you're playing in a competitive league, if you're playing in a, in a happy league, you need and there's always the one bloke who's just trying to start a fight with every single bloke who's on the other turn. Yeah, so you're, you're looking at him. You're looking at him. So, uh, <laughs> Yes. I think you need. I think you need Mitchell Rich up top with uh, with him and F. Mitchell, love that. that. <laughs> That's very good. Um, oh, I think you probably need a Leicester player, don't you? Yeah. You probably need. I see. I would have said Jack Grealish, but I'm sick of the way that Aston Villa just kicked us around this entire thing. <laughs> um, I love Harvey Barnes. Yep. Yeah. Harvey Barnes in there. Nice. And then what am I missing? I'm missing a centre back. And to be honest, not everyone actually puts in a centre back. You don't even need a side. defender if you don't want. Right. Okay. It's up to you though. Oh, I realise I'm dragging this on. Maybe no, I will no. go. I will go Grealish just because of the fact that he's he's actually destroyed us in a number of times. That's this actually. Year. I love that team. I love that team. So Matty Ryan in goals. We've got Mitro, Yimenez, uh, Grealish, and uh, Harvey Barnes. Harvey Barnes. Oh, you know, yeah. Harvey Barnes. Love the that. Random <laughs> no, that's awesome. Oh, I've wanted I've wanted Liverpool to sign Harvey Barnes for that long because I think he could do a do a job for us on a left flank cutting inside and being that. Hey, you've got Yotto. Why why we why do you need Harvey Barnes on the left as well? 
We need an upgrade on Divock. I think we need to All right, next up. If you could have dinner with one Premier League player, who would it be and why? Past or present? Uh, oh, no, we'll go present. present. Okay, we'll go present. present. One Premier League player. Um, I'd have to say, you know, I reckon Andy Robbo. I'll stick with I'll stick with my Liverpool connections just because I reckon he'd be great fun. Yeah. If I could invite a second one to be James Milner because I'd love to get both of them together because I reckon they'd actually be a lot of fun just to sit around and have a chat and have a beer with. But apparently, apparently, Robbo is supposed to be like unbelievably funny. Like apparently he's just an absolute character. He's Scottish. I've yes, got a couple right. of Scottish mates and the two funniest people I know. So yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Something like that. <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be sinking cans for sure. Um, <laughs> if you could attend one Liverpool game ever and relive it live, which game would it be? Uh, Barcelona 4-0. Um, I've never cried more after a football match. So that one, that one for me. <laughs> That's elite. That's elite. All right. What do you take the last one away? Because right. you got to explain why we're asking. Okay. This. So we had obviously AFL men. So you know, you know the AFL industry back to front. We had Errol Gould. We've had Errol Goulden on a few times because that, that bloke <laughs> is a diehard Liverpool supporter. Yeah. We we literally message him after every game, and I think I, he gets so butt hurt after every game. It's like <laughs> it is amazing how he offended he gets over Instagram. It is a joke. Um, and we had his, we had also Barry O'Connor, who was an upgraded Cat B rookie uh, for Sydney Swans, Irish import, uh, lovely bloke. And we asked him this question, and we got a bit of a mixed response, so we want to ask you as well. Would you rather fight a horse-sized John Longmire or three John Longmire-sized horses? Uh, I wouldn't want to fight John Longmire is like one of my favourite people in footy. <laughs> I'm one of the best people in the So I feel bad answering this because of the fact that I'm not on the right One John Longmire sized horse. Okay. I always go with the one in this, in this scenario. Okay. You don't want to get overwhelmed. Keep it simple. Have one thing to focus on. <laughs> I get distracted easily. So there'd be things going around. I love how he's going with the tactical, tactical yeah, approach that. as well. It's that. awesome. I bet you've got an horse. Errol and Barry's answer was like, oh, John Longmire's just too much of a dad. So I don't think we could fight him. <laughs> yeah. um, one more thing, Riley, before, before we do a little bit of an outro. We, we hear all the time, I'm big on this. I've mentioned this to Errol uh, when he was on the pod and, and, and I've given him a task. And that task is to sort of lift the game, the world game in the AFL community. So like, you know, Adam Trelawney, Scott Pendlebury, they're great guys. Love listening to them, um, you know, whether it be on, uh, you know, after a game or on Fox footy, wherever it might be. But I'm sort of sick of hearing about how many, like, NBA tops Trelaw has or, like, how Scott Pendlebury used to play basketball. Like, yeah, how about, did you, like, David Zaharakis is a massive Man United fan. Yeah. Like, why do I only know that, like, recently? I should know that from the Channel 7 commentary like, I'm, team. I'm sick, like, of, I'm sick of hearing, I'm sick of hearing, oh, he's got the basketball background, so he must be good. At, like, he just comes into the game. Like, how yeah. come there is not, like, a soccer background that comes into the game? You know what I mean? Yeah, okay. like, we want you to lift, like, start maybe start mentioning a, a Premier League, something Premier League in, in your match day articles or something like that. Just, <laughs> just Mate, a lot of me. pressure. A lot of pressure. <laughs> well, we've got Sam Draper, who was, it was Essendon's Ruckman, who was a, a Cat B rookie because he played soccer growing up. Yep. yep. 
Um, Avan Marriage was a big one. Yes. Um, same with Oleg Markov. Yes, they both were. Yep. Bryce Gibbs, Bryce Gibbs was a good Liverpool yes. supporter back in the day, but he's obviously retired now. Um, yeah, we definitely need more. Yeah. We need I'll, tell you, I'll tell you who surprised us the most. Warren Treadray. Yeah. Have you, do you follow him on Instagram? He posts about Look Arsenal all the time on his stories. Every yeah, match. Do you know, um, there's another good one. It's just escaped me though. Other than the back of my head. A good soccer fan that always posts about it. You better not say one of the GWS boys. I'll be pissed if you say one. Yeah, the GWS boys love Toby Green likes likes his Premier League, I think. Yeah, and Cobbs yes. obviously. Can you really say Cobbs is a big Juventus fan? Yeah. There are a couple though. I need to I do I do need to think more about it and find more. That's the one I was gonna say. Ben Keys at Adelaide. Really? really? Ben Keys at Adelaide has we get stuck into him on exchange all the time because we call him Pidget, yeah. who's the Pokemon character, because he has the haircut. And he yeah, actually, you posted on Twitter too many times. Right? <laughs> it's so funny. He messaged us on Instagram once saying he actually got the haircut inspired by Jack Grealish. Oh, that makes oh, sense. Yeah. That makes sense. That's <laughs> so, good. I mean, I'm not sure if he's an Aston Villa fan or what's it go. But another thing, he actually tweeted on Monday morning being like, can't believe the European Super League. Like, so he must be a footballer. <laughs> That's <laughs> We're going to try and get it out of him. He must be a football fan, I reckon. Oh, geez. Well, it's, if we ever get him on the pod, we'll get you on as well. Yeah, we can uh, have a chat about <laughs> it. Love that. That'd be elite. All right, Riley, I think that probably brings uh, this show to a wrap. We're definitely going to have to have you on again so we're not as depressed yeah. in another <laughs> yeah. episode. Um, but, yeah, mate, thank you so much. You've actually, you're actually a media idol for us, so massive pleasure to have you on. Don't, admit, don't mean to pop your ties up too much. Keep going, keep going. What, what we'd love to do when we have a, a guest on the pod, we'd love to you guys to do the intro, but then um, we'd love you to do the outro as well. So just say, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Premier League nightclub. Like, we'll, I would, we'll go ahead and do our like social media plugs and whatever. Um, yeah. And then do you mind if we give you a point and then you can just you say can what just, you want. Just, go for it. Yeah. All right. All right. Which of this wraps it up now. If you, they want to hit us up on the socials, where can they find us? Guys, you can find us on Insta at Premier League Nightclub. You can find us on TikTok at Premier League Nightclub. Damon, where can you find us on everything else? Find us on Twitter at PL Nightclub. Search the Premier League Nightclub on YouTube. We'll be there pretty much on any other Spotify, uh, any other podcast platform. We'll be there. We're on, uh, what else? Are, what are we on? We're on Google. We are recently actually got added to Google Podcasts. Yep. It's taken me ages to get us on We're, there, but we are on there. Anyway, um, yeah, please chuck us a subscribe or follow. We've actually... I mean, I don't know if I should be saying this on air, but we got really close to a landmark amount of subs on Spotify. And then within a week, we'd lost a few. So we've like a bit far off it again, which I'm pretty flat about. So if you anyone's can't listening- telling Riley this- man. I know, but like maybe we did something wrong in the most recent episode because <laughs> we'd lost a few. I was pretty flat about that. But anyway, oh. no, it's a call to the people to get, get some more uh, subs and followers going because it really helps us out. Man, uh, make sure you click like on the YouTube shut up. video Just as well. Finish yeah, the pod, right, come on. Riley, take it away. All right, I've been Riley Beveridge. You've been listening to the Premier League nightclub. Sorry to bring you down about European <laughs> League, but don't forget, there's one thing that's important, that's the rest. Oh, I know. <laughs>